Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. Right. Uh, we're in uh, Ephesians 5, 18 through 21 today. It says, And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, even as we're encouraged in this passage this morning, we come to you to give you thanks. We come before you right now recognizing that every good and perfect gift is from above. That none of us are self-made individuals, but our lives, certainly our lives in you, are what they are because of the extension of your grace. And we just acknowledge that together this morning, that God, there's just a lot of bad that we face in our lives and in this world and can often even skew us and make us jaded, but this morning we just want to recenter around the fact that you are good. You've always been good. You've always been been good to us, and you'll always be good. Your mercy endures forever. So God, this morning would you um, make those truths about you true in us in a deeper way? Would you restore to us even this morning the joy of who you are? As we study your word, Holy Spirit, would you illuminate our understanding? I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would be the preacher. You would be the communicator. We're ultimately here to hear from you. So, God, speak to us, we pray. We ask that you would be strong today in our weakness. Help us focus and receive what you have for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All righty. Well, each week, as you guys all know, you know the spiel by now, okay? Every week in Ephesians, looking at a different section. And the theme that we're following in the book of Ephesians is what Paul really leads us to think about. The theme of Ephesians is this, life in Christ. Uh, Paul is exploring all the different aspects of the good news of being positioned in Jesus. That's something to think about this morning. Am I... In Jesus. Well, that's what the gospel brings us into. The work of what Christ has done on the cross is a work to reposition us into the Son, into the kingdom, to be in Christ. And Ephesians is just really unpacking and exploring what that looks like. Trying to almost like open our eyes to get a fresh view of this, to live in light of all that we have and all that we are um, in Christ what life looks like in him. I think most of the time our, our problem is, is not a performance issue. It's a recognition issue. It's a perspective issue. And Paul seems to believe this. He's like, if you could just get more deeply rooted in your identity in Christ, if you could become more deeply saturated in the truth of the gospel, you will see the fruit in your life. And we tend to flip it around, don't we? 
We, we tend to get you know, the gospel and get the favor and get the identity from the performance, but Paul is helping us reorder to the proper divine order of the Christian life, who we are in Jesus and living from that. So each week, we're just exploring like what that looks like and all the different aspects of life in Christ. And if you'd like to take notes, and even if you don't, go ahead and jot this down. The title this morning is uh, this idea of being, this is going to be fun, being thrilled. Thrilled in Christ. Thrilled in Christ. I mean, we've looked at so many different aspects of life in Christ. And here in this passage, I mean, we're just following where the Spirit is leading through Paul's writing. And this is what Paul is speaking about. He's speaking about being stoked in Jesus. (laughs) Being hyped, being excited, being thrilled in the Lord. Uh, Let's back up for a second and remember a little bit of context. If if you notice the first verse that David read, it's Ephesians 5.18 here. And hopefully by now we're somewhat familiar with this scripture because we have been studying this verse for two months. Two whole months. There's that much to draw out of this verse. Uh, Specifically, we as a church have, have just, and I believe this, the Holy Spirit has just kind of kept us marinating and thinking on this idea of being filled with the Spirit. What an invitation, what a concept, what a vision for a church, what a vision for your and my life that of all the things that could be filling me, that it would be the very spirit and power of God, the presence of God. We talked in the first week just about the need for that, right? Like the need uh, to be filled with the spirit again and again. That's the language, remember? Paul's like, be constantly filled. That's literally what it means because we're leaky vessels (laughs) and it's so easy to become filled with other things. And we see that precedent in the book of Acts, We see the filling of the Holy Spirit, listen closely, being a recurring and regular thing in the life of the church and a need in our lives as well. The best news of all is that God gives free refills, amen? Isn't that good news? He is always looking to refill his people and refresh his people with fresh power and fresh presence in our hearts if we come to him and say, Lord, fill me. Fill me with your spirit. So that was the first week was like the need to be filled and the promise that God gives free refills. He fills his people through the gospel, through Jesus. We see that poured out. Uh, I think it was last week. I was in and out a couple weeks, but I think it was last week that we talked about, like we started to think about this idea of, okay, but like how do I do that? How do I even begin to obey this commandment? You know, be filled with the spirit. It's like, okay, go, right? It's like, is there a button I push? Is there a verse I read? What's the, what's the formula? And certainly it's not about a formula, it's about a relationship. And so uh, last week, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. Um, We talked more about that idea. We talked about uh, what it means to pursue being filled with the Spirit. And I've got great news for you this morning. We're moving on to verse 19. Praise the Lord, okay? So we're getting uh, beyond this verse today, and we're following what Paul is leading us to think about. And here's the big idea that Paul has us uh, thinking about with with the filling of the Spirit. As we go on to verses 19 through 21, Paul is now describing, listen closely, what some of the effects of the Spirit are in our lives. And the key word there is some. These are not all the effects of the Holy Spirit. But, But as Paul, he says, be filled with the Spirit. And then he goes on to describe what it looks like and leads to to be filled with the Spirit. And depending on your church background, you have all sorts of ideas about what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And there's a, probably a full spectrum in here of perspectives of what that should look like, what that shouldn't look like, what people think it looks like. And if we even look into our own lives, we have our own 
misconceptions and we should just say ideas about what, what it means for me to be filled with the Spirit and what that looks like. And here's the good news. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about this. The Scriptures give us all sorts of uh, perspectives of what being filled with the Spirit is going to lead to in your and my life. If you go to 1 Corinthians 12, you have like these really supernatural things that Paul is encouraging us to, to, to even seek after, to desire, to pursue. I mean, things that are not of man, but only of God that you see in the life of Jesus, that you see Jesus now passing on to the church through the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, these real supernatural things. But then you have chapter 13, where Paul's like, but ultimately the, the primary fruit of the Spirit is not how high you can jump and how much you can do. It's, it's your love. You can have all the knowledge in the world by the Spirit. You can speak in every divine language in the Spirit. You can have all power, all miracles. But if you don't have love, Paul's like, it's, it's nothing. That's the ultimate gift. Paul will say in Galatians 5 that the fruit of the Spirit ultimately, singularly, is love. So, so you could just go all throughout the Bible. I think of like 2 Corinthians, this is just rifling some off. You know, 2 Corinthians 3, one of my favorite scriptures, talks about one of the, the works that the Holy Spirit does in our lives is he transforms us. He makes us like Jesus. Something you and I could never do for ourselves. You, you know what I'm saying? I can't make me more like Jesus. I've tried that. It, doesn't, it ends up looking a lot more bro, like broken Andrew is usually what it looks like. But the Spirit of God, he's working. And when we're filled with the Spirit, we're being transformed from glory to glory. So, so when I say that, I, I want to set a precedent here. What Paul goes on to say in verses 19 through 21, it's not a comprehensive description of being filled with the Spirit, but it is a, it is a special one. Again, verses 19 through 21, some of the effects of the Spirit. What does, I mean, what does it lead to? Paul. Paul, what does it lead to, and what does it look like to be filled with the Spirit? And if I could summarize what Paul said here, I would summarize it this way. Paul essentially says this idea. Paul says, you know, one of the ways you can think about the fruit of the Spirit in your life is the evidence of being filled is that you're thrilled, okay? Paul is saying here, to be filled with the Spirit, he gives this vision is of looking like a life that is just thrilled in the Lord. So, so let's follow it. He says, be filled with the Spirit. And then he says, here's what that's going to look like. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things. Do you see the joy in the heart of this person who's filled with the Spirit? I'm singing praises to God. It almost looks like a musical breaks out. You're just filled with so much joy. I have good news for you, gentlemen. The, the, being filled with the Spirit does not lead to high school musical. Okay, so you don't have to worry about that. We're not going to start breaking out in, in dancing song. Okay? Unless we get a little Pentecostal in here, Jimmy. Hello. Okay. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Paul's describing a life that is not just filled with the Spirit, but through being filled with the Spirit is thrilled in the Lord. How thrilled are you today with joy in Jesus? How thrilled are you? How excited are you this morning about what God's doing in your life? How much strength do you have connected to the joy you have 
in Jesus. This is what Paul is trying to get at. This is what the Spirit, listen, this is what the Holy Spirit of God is up to in your and my life this morning. He's trying to get us more excited about God. How many of us are bored? How many of us have settled for a boring version of Jesus? You know, the enemy knows that the joy of the Lord is our strength. So this is the main thing he'll go for. You know, he can't really do the performance thing and guilt you out because you just preach in the gospel. You're like, if the enemy comes to you, he's like, you're a filthy sinner. You're like, praise God, I know. That's what makes the gospel such good news. You know, if he comes around and he tries to, he tries to beat you down with your trial, you have a vision of the sovereignty and the goodness of God that, that just silences him with the truth. But if he can subtly and slowly distract you and delude your joy in the Lord with other things. You know, he's not immediately going for bored Christians, but just slightly bored Christians. You know what I'm saying? Here's what actually what Jesus said in Mark chapter four about the work of God in our lives and how there's this negative effect to it sometimes. God's word is sown in my heart. The previous person is described as, it's, as receiving it gladly. There's joy in our hearts. But here's this battle we face We can be those that hear the word of God, but the cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, and just the desires, and maybe the key word here is the the greater desire for other things. It enters in and it chokes the word and it becomes unfruitful. Like certainly, the enemy will dangle the thrill of sin before our eyes, but oftentimes the enemy just dangles subtle thrills to drown out the ultimate thrill of God and Again, he's seeking to delude us. There's an interesting uh, section of, of one of C.S. Lewis's greatest works, The Screwtape Letters, which is a, a book that's written from the perspective, it's, a very inter- it's fictional, but it's very theological. It's written from the perspective of like a master demon who's writing to his nephew demon, Wormwood, and he's writing to him, seeking to equip him in his goal of attacking a Christian. And there's a section in Screwtape Letters where where C.S. Lewis says, listen, whatever you do, just don't get them too excited about God. Like, if if they're praying, it's fine, as long as their prayers are vain. If they're going to church, fine, as long as it's not fully heartfelt. They're reading the Bible, good, as long as it's just for knowledge. You see the idea? This this attack that comes right to, to the very core of our being, which is, where Jesus comes to thrill us and excite us. This is, listen, this is certainly something the enemy knows, and it's also something the Holy Spirit wants to solve and produce in our lives. I love Acts 52, uh, 32, 52, or sorry, 13, 52. Just a simple scripture here. This is what we could have this morning even. The disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. God, I recognize that I often get allured into other thrills and I start to subtly drift from being mostly excited about you. You, you, you start to, to move out of the center place of my joy. Other things enter in and slowly but surely I can just end up bored with you altogether. I get busy with religious things. I get busy with life things. Therefore, we're called here to be filled with the Spirit. And for the joy of the Lord to come through that. Again, this is what Paul is speaking about. He's like, the Holy Spirit shows up to that maybe bored heart and that religious life. 
and he literally gets us stoked in the Lord by stoking the fire of our joy. He's, he's you know, the stoker of God's people. He gets us stoked. He, he gets us reminded of who God is. He fans the flame of our hearts. It's amazing. It's amazing what a community of people filled with the joy of the Lord can do. It's amazing what, what kind of stuff a Christian can endure when joy is at the center of their heart. So this is what the Holy Spirit's up to in our lives. And, and Paul, again, gives us a vision of that. And he gives us a vision of being thrilled in the Lord kind of like expressed in a couple unique ways. So that's what this section gives us. Uh, Paul gives us three expressions of someone who's thrilled in the Lord. Like if I'm filled with the Spirit, I'm not going to be bored with God. I'm going to be excited about God. And it's going to look like a couple things. And you could jot these three things down. The first thing that Paul says being filled with the Spirit would lead to is being thrilled in worship. A spirit-filled Christian is a thrilled Christian that is expressing their joy through musical worship. That's the first thing he says. When you're filled with the Spirit, you'll be thrilled in worship. He says, first, when you're filled with the Spirit, you'll begin, notice this, look at Paul's description of what we just participated in here not, um, not uh, too far ago. He says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. It's really interesting. Paul describes like this two-directional plane of worship, right? These two dimensions. There's a a, a dimension of worship where, of course, we know that we want to sing to God. But then he says we're also speaking to one another. You ever thought about that? You ever thought about how worship is a time where we sing these lyrics out loud, not just because God hears and receives our praise as we honor him in spirit and truth, but also because we all need to be reminded of the truth of the gospel. So we come into worship and it's like, we're not reminding God who he is. You know, you know he's well aware of who he is. Jimmy even said that, he's I am. But we remind ourselves who he is. We, 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 we sing to one another. We sing in our hearts to the Lord. Notice these like three categories of worship songs. I love this. It's like genres of worship here. We come together, and this is for the New Testament Christian, the New Covenant Christian, the church, that when we gather, we are are to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. This is what we do. First, we get together, and this is what God's people have done throughout the ages. We sing psalms, like literally the book of psalms. It starts with a P. It's not psalms. It's a silent P, and it's the songbook of Israel. 150 songs that come out of uh, Israel's history and, and, and really the, the riches of their depth of relationship with God, some of their greatest leaders, mostly King David. And it's these songs of, of praise, but it's these songs of reflection. It's these songs of honesty. Some song, psalms are psalms of lament. The psalms help us grieve well. Even Jesus himself on the cross, he quotes from the psalms. What do we say in these moments where we don't have the words? Sometimes we just say scripture. We sing a psalm. And I love that when Jimmy will lead us in worship and our team, I love, sometimes we don't realize how many songs we're singing that are psalms. Whether it's bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. This is one of the practices of the church to join, it's really crazy to think this, to join with God's people from the ages, singing the same songs and same truths about God. Because at the end of the day, we're all having the same experience. Different, but the same. We're humans navigating life, seeking to connect with God, our creator, to worship him, 
So we sing psalms. We literally sing psalms here. Uh, we also want to sing hymns, beautiful hymns. Now, um, we tend to think of hymns as stuff that came out of you know, uh, the early century, uh, re- recent centuries ago. But, but in that culture, a hymn was literally like a theological treatise. You know, back then, they didn't have like PowerPoint or even the overhead projector. Believe it or not, it wasn't around in the first century. And so, <laughs> and so they would put these, these like theological poems and ideas to memory. And one of the best ways to memorize something is to make it a song. Do you know what I'm saying? You, like, you know what I'm talking about because you know more Taylor Swift songs than you want to know, okay? Because it's me, I, I'm the problem. Okay, it's like, come on. Sorry if I just put that in your head. But, you know, or whatever the song is, for me, like as a parent, it's the, my kids' shows. It's like, how do I know that song? And why is that just the soundtrack of my life? As I'm going into work today, I'm singing about like Bluey or Paw Patrol, okay? So, so, so in the first century, there wasn't the privilege we have through the printing press of being able to hold God's word physically, all of us in our hands. But God's word was still God's word. His truth was still truth. And so the way, and by the way, this is the way that many worshipers today that don't have access to Bibles edify themselves, is they sing theological truths about God. There's many passages in the New Testament that many scholars believe were original hymns that Paul would quote from. You know, like a pastor when he's preaching and he like uses a secular song in the sermon, okay, or something to tie it in. Not a Taylor Swift song, but like a real meaningful song. Well, Paul would do that and he would pull from the hymns and he'll say, great is the mystery of godliness, that, that God was manifested in the flesh. Some people think that was a hymn. And it's what we do today too. We don't just come into worship to feel some things. Worship at the end of the day is not about chasing a feeling, it's about recentering around God and what's true in our hearts. It's about reminding ourselves about the gospel and what he's done and how worthy of our worship he actually is, amen? And so we come to him singing psalms, hymns, but we also sing spiritual songs. I love a good spiritual song. I mean, it's, it's, it's been some time, but oceans, that was a spiritual song that took the world by storm. Genuinely, there's times where spiritual songs will just be birthed from the heart of the church. I love that our worship leader, Jimmy, can we just honor Jimmy for a second as we're talking about music? Um, mainly because he doesn't want anybody to clap for him. That's the main reason why I did that. But genuinely, I love that, that Jimmy who's come on to lead us in that time of worship. I love, Jimmy, that you are a worshiper. You're a worshiper. And so that's the best worship leader is someone that just has a genuine heart, so much so that, that Jimmy, we've been singing some of these spiritual songs that God's put on Jimmy's heart as we sing them to the Lord as a church. Uh, it's a really special thing. Uh, I, I gotta say a few things about worship though because, well, we're American Christians. So let me say a few things. I, I want us to understand that biblically, and let's just talk from scripture. When we see worship, musical worship described in scripture, we see it happening often in two ways. Uh, musical worship we see is something that is, is both spontaneously produced but also seriously planned. It's spontaneously produced, but it's also seriously planned. Uh, as it says here, sometimes you're just filled with the joy of the Lord and you are so filled with joy, that you're like, I gotta put this song on and sing praises to God. You have this joy that's spontaneously creating this worship song. I, I think of Psalm 40. Here's David. David, some people think that, think that Psalm 40 is a spiritual song 
that, that is birthed, spontaneously birthed in David's heart as he's reflecting on God. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and he heard my cry. That's the good news of the gospel. We wait on the Lord and he listens and he responds. What does he do? He brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay. And what God does is he doesn't just deliver us from a place. He sets us in a new place. He set my feet upon a rock. That rock is Jesus. And he established my steps. David then goes on to say, he has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust the Lord. Now, Psalm 40 goes on, and many people believe that this is the spiritual song that David wrote. And we're talking like an incredible song. There, there are what we would call bars in Psalm 40. David is just unpacking the glory of God and who he is in his life. And can I say, like, we need moments in our life where worship is not just something that we do because we're supposed to, but worship is the response to who God is. And we're like David, we're like, God, when I think about you and what you've done and where I'd be without you, I can only worship. It's not about the, the song. It's not about the music. It's not about the vibe. It's not about all the other things we've made worship to be. It's about you and how awesome you are. So I have to sing. I have to worship you. I like the way Francis Chan says it. He says, whenever someone comes up to them and says, I didn't like that worship song, he says, that's okay. We weren't worshiping you. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> worship is something that we see in Scripture. It's to be spontaneously, spontaneously produced. But notice this. And we see this here in this passage. It's also something that is to be seriously planned. The idea here is around a practice that we're to discipline ourselves in. Right? Because if we only worship God, listen closely, based on how we feel. If we only worship God when it's produced. If we only worship God based on my feelings, then God is only as worship as I, or as worthy as I feel he is. Let me say that again. If we only worship God, based on how we feel, then God is only as worthy as I feel he is. But God is worthy of worship despite how we feel. And so worship is something that we must also plan to do. It's a, it's a practice. It's a practice for this. And I want you to jot this down. This is what worship is about. I want you to know that when we, um, okay, we don't begin our gathering with music because it's a buffer period to check the kids in, to get your latte on the way. We have coffee already here, okay? We have early check-in, okay? I'm not guilting you, but I'm guilting you. So listen, like, <laughs> like, we don't start with worship because it's pragmatic, like it's a good way to warm people's. And that, there's a truth that worship does prepare your heart to receive the, Lord, uh, the word. But worship is, doesn't happen at the beginning of our service to like warm us up for God, to be able to receive the word. We begin with worship. You know how we begin? With a call from Scripture to sing to the Lord for he is good because God calls us to this place. We worship first because it's theological, and it points to why we're here. Someone, you know, there's all sorts of stuff that happens on this property all the time. It's a middle school. A couple times a year, there's this orchid sale that happens across the parking lot that I've always wanted to check out, you know? But I, if I'm not here one Sunday during the orchid sale, you know where I am, Okay. And every now and then you have people that walk in here and they're like, this is a weird setup for an orchid sale. They're like, also, where's the orchids, you know? And they come into a room of people singing to God. 
with their hands raised and their hearts centered. And, and like, this is why we start with worship. Why are you first here? We're here for Jesus. He's why we're here. We're here to respond and recenter around him. To respond. Worship is how we, listen, it's how God's word calls us to practically respond to him. We sing and make melody in our heart to the Lord. But we're also here, let me say this, we're here to recenter. To recenter our hearts around what's true. Not to be entertained, not to be led to a feeling, but to sing to one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord. To recenter around the truth of who he is. Um. When I say recenter, I don't just mean like we're putting God at the center. God is at the center. Heaven shows us this in Revelation. There's a center point and centerpiece and center place of heaven. It's Jesus and all his glory. And so, have you heard the expression, um, you know, worship is about preparing us for heaven. Okay. Now, I like that. That's, that's fine. But it's so much more than that. Worship, in fact, I'll say this. Worship is not preparing you for heaven. Worship is participating with heaven. It's joining with heaven right now around what's at central to the world. What's central to my life. And that's where all healthy things flow. We have a whole tagline around it. We really believe it. Like Jesus at the center is best case scenario for everything and everyone. Especially the people of God. So we center around him. Because he's worthy. Amen? Listen, when you're filled with the Spirit, you're going to be thrilled in worship. And even if you don't feel it, you're going to remind yourself that God is worthy and I'm going to sing to him. And as I sing to him, listen, our, our, our faith, or rather our faith doesn't follow feeling. Feelings will come. They'll come and go. But God is the constant. That's why we worship him. Amen? All right. We're thrilled in worship. We're also thrilled, and this kind of connects. Paul then says, when you're filled with the Spirit, you're going to be thrilled in worship. In the Greek, it says you'll check your kids in early and be there for the call of worship because you really want to give him your, your whole heart and your best offering. It's not, that's a joke. Uh, it's not real. But do it. Um, but secondly, Paul talks about being thrilled in gratitude. Thrilled in gratitude. When I'm filled with the Spirit, um, there's going to be this joy in my life that, listen, all joy finds its root. All joy in God finds its root in gratitude for God. Paul says, I'm filled with the Spirit, giving thanks. Look at this bar he sets for us. Always for all things. To God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, now, I'll say it this way. I've never met someone who was bored with God. And yet at the same time, Deeply grateful. Never met someone. Bored in their faith, bored with the church, bored with religion, bored with Jesus, yet at the same time, noticeably, deeply grateful to God. And that's because, listen, that, that's the source of our joy. Our joy in God and our thrill for him is produced when we remind ourselves that every good thing in my life is from him. That he's the source, as James 1.17 says, of every good and perfect gift. It speaks to what he does and it speaks to who he is. Every good gift and perfect gift is from above. 
And notice who it, who it comes down from. It comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. The modern translation is there's no dark side to God. He's only light. He's only good. And from a perfectly good source comes crazy grace on people like you and me that, that can thank God for the very breath in our lungs, let alone the adoption of our lives and the redemption of our lives and the blessings of our lives. You know, it's important to be reminded of this truth. Certainly it's the source of our joy, but that's a witness in a world today where like gratitude is trendy. Have you noticed that? Like it's like secular companies have gratitude as one of their you know, main values. And um, sometimes I get these sponsor Instagram ads for like you know, hype people, like life coach people. And then I'm like, I keep getting them. Oh, I keep watching them. Okay. Duly noted. But whoever it is, you know, whether it's like Tony Robbins or Gary V, whatever his name is, or whoever it is, like, gratitude, man. I'm just great. Like, it's, I would say, like, in today's culture, it's not a distinct, distinctively Christian thing to be grateful. But it's unique and it's distinctive when you know who to thank. Because today it's like, I'm grateful, but it's like, too, just, I'm, I am grateful. But like for gratitude to be gratitude, it has to have a source that it's appreciating and thanking. So usually today what we've done is because we want to do everything but identify the truth of God, we'll just call it the universe, you know. Just so thankful for the universe. The universe is just this. It's like the universe, bro? I can give a lot of evidence to other things in this world that the universe is working against. Like I don't know if the universe is your best friend. The universe is a space and time thing, okay? Like chill out, all right? But, you know, as long as I can keep God from being an identified being um, with a name and a face and a character and a reality, I don't have to be accountable to him. So I can thank the universe. And I could turn to it when I need something to thank, but I certainly won't look to God as something to ultimately direct it to. And this is, what's, this is what makes us different. We're profoundly grateful because we know who God is. And we know that despite who we are, he's been so good to us. So we give thanks to the Lord. We're set apart in that. Um, but notice this, because it's one thing to say, I'm thankful to God, but Paul's like, no, no it's got to be, it's more. Okay, he's like, here's the, the call, call to gratitude. Giving thanks, this is convicting, right? To God, we know that part, but always for all things is the call. Giving thanks, to, that's hard. I can give thanks to God, but am I a person that is, Giving thanks to God always for all things. Now, let me remind you that you can give thanks to God always. Can I remind you of that? That um, Let me say it this way. You always have an opportunity to thank God. You always have a reason to thank God. And I think Jimmy was even saying that as he was leading us this morning. One of the things he prayed was like, God, you know, we, we try to look sometimes for these specific things to give us a reason. But Jimmy's like, remember, it's just who God is. This is the call of the Psalms. Psalm 107 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. If nothing else, can I, can I remind you that just from this verse, you have a reason to thank God always for the rest of your life. Because he's merciful, he's kind, and he's gracious, and he's worth it. Now notice this, we're giving thanks to God always, ooh, for all things. I'm not there yet. I'm definitely like a, like I can get it always, but I'm more like a some things kind of a guy, you know? 
Like, certainly not that thing, you know. And this is like, this is like graduate level discipleship in some ways where we walk with Jesus to the point where we trust him so much so. We've, like, we've fully surrendered the authorship of our lives to God. That we can give thanks, as Paul says, in everything. In everything. Certainly we don't thank God for what sin does in this world. Certainly we don't thank God for what breaks his heart. But we can thank God even in the worst of times because there's even still good things he's doing. We thank God always for all things because he's always worthy and good and everything comes from his hand. Now, now this lends us towards a reminder here, okay? Paul's saying we got to give thanks. It's, it's like a, it's a discipline. It's, it's almost like an offering that we practice. And I, one of the ways that I would think about it is, and I found this in my life, that like dis, gratitude, we'll say this way, is a spiritual discipline, not a default setting when it comes to our relationship with God. You know, like when you were programmed, <laughs> your default setting on your human iPhone self was not that you, like I just, I'm just always giving thanks to God for all things. I just can't help it, okay? Everything in my life, I just point back to him and, and I'm always grateful. Therefore, I'm always joyful. No, okay? We know that we're talking here about following the way of Jesus. And the key aspect of being a disciple is practices, discipline. If I want to cultivate joy in my heart, I've got to practice gratitude. Don't make me say count your blessings, but I'm about to say it, okay? I practice it. It's, it's actually, I think, one of the best ways to start coming before God in prayer. Sometimes we don't know where to start. You ever felt that way? It's like, okay, um, hello, right? <laughs> hey, um, I, I love this. Let's make it easy. Psalm 100 says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Like, I'm struggling with prayer. Don't, don't make it so difficult that it's not simple and practical. What if you just begin, if your prayer life is, is not where you want it to be, if it's kind of on, on the side and it's not as strong, what if you just made a habit to say, God, I'm just going to begin. Here's prayer for me right now. Maybe it'll become something more. But I'm just going to start by coming before you and just thanking you. I'm telling you, other things will flow from that. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. I got one more verse for you, then we're moving on to the last one. This is just too good to pass up. Paul says that this is the remedy for anxiety. I've never met an insanely anxious person that was also a deeply grateful person. I'm not talking about like clinical anxiety. I'm talking about what Jesus said is the worries over the cares of this world. It's always terrified, forgetting who my father is and who I am to him. So, so Paul's like, be anxious for nothing. Notice not in some things, but in everything. By prayer and supplication, here's the key aspect of prayer again, with thanksgiving. How does that change our prayer life? How does that change how we see what we're going through when we bring it to God? With thanksgiving that he hears me. With thanksgiving that I'm in the palm of his hand. It's just amazing what thanksgiving does. You know what it leads to? The peace of God, which surpasses understanding. Like, I have no reason to have peace in this thing. Oh, wait a minute. I have a lot to thank God for. And so the peace of God begins to guard my heart and mind in Jesus. Such an important spiritual practice. So when we're thrilled through the filling of the Spirit, we're going to be thrilled in worship. We'll be here at 955, ready to be called into worship. I hope that's in all caps in your notes. And then... 
we're going to be thrilled with gratitude, man. This is the source of our joy. It's the remedy to anxiety. It's what makes us distinctive as God's people. And then lastly, what a great final one. Because <laughs> none of us would think this. To be filled with the Spirit is to be thrilled in submission. The other two make sense. Like those are worshipful and happy and sing-songy and like sing with a smile. Yeah, you know, give thanks with a smile. It's like, yeah, but like submission with a smile, you know. Like, yay, like, you're going to work tomorrow, like, yay, I get, like, I'm thrilled in the spirit to submit to my boss. I just can't wait for him to disagree with all my ideas and just do whatever he wants. I'm so valuable to this company, you know, like. Paul is describing here, obviously, something that's not natural, it's spiritual. Spirit-filled Christian, and the idea here is not like general submission to any and everyone. We know there's different calls in the Bible to times and relationships of subjection and submission. But here, Paul says this, and guess what? He's talking to us with each other. Check this out. A church that's filled with the Spirit, what does that look like? It's a community of people who are submitting to one another. In the fear of God. I mean, what a vision for Jesus' concept of the church. In a world of digital everything, and AI this and that and the other, and chat, you know, get on my face, all right? Jesus' vision for the church being this beautifully messy community of humans doing life together. Not fighting to be right, but, but allowing each other to lead us is still true today. It's still true. This is, I don't care what we've made the church here in America, this is still what Jesus wants for us. You know, I saw recently in Germany there was um, a church service that hundreds of people attended. It was like a conference thing, and the entire sermon was created and delivered by AI. And it was like one of the best sermons I've ever heard in my life. Like it was, like I try to alliterate and stuff. I gave up this weekend, but it's like theological. And we laugh at that. But based on many church trends, like that might be far off, whatever, okay. But there's something to what Jesus has for us in the church and just how naturally we prefer what we want with the church. I, you know, it's like, I like that church because it's this consumer mindset. It's like a dating, I like to date the church kind of thing. I'm like, it's okay to be church exploring. I think that's okay to do. I don't like the phrase church shopping, by the way. You don't shop for the bride of Christ. You don't shop for what Jesus died for. You should explore finding like a strong church that you can be rooted in. But the, the point here, before I, you know, rant for 20 minutes about this, I have some feelings. Um, like, how much of our church exploring involves this? Like, I'm looking for a community where I can submit my life to a bunch of people. Do you know what I mean? This is the church. In a world of digital AI, it's like we prefer this kind of, it's a sermon. I come in, you just, well, who needs a pastor when you have AI? Much smarter. 
that's the real job threat these days is pastors because AIs can write better sermons. And so it's like, I need to write this or to write that. And I get contextualizing. We want to reach people. So I get that there's things there. But Jesus' vision for his church, it's this beautiful, messy, I mean, this is a messy thing. All of us, the word there, submit, that's an, the word is literally obey. Isn't that crazy? Obey each other. And do you get what this looks like, though? This is a community of people that are so wrecked by the love and gospel that they're willing to just give themselves in service to one another. And we say, like, I can't isolate myself. I need you. And, like, you need me and I need you. The idea is that we're all subjected to one another as a unit, doing life together in one another living. I just said doing life together. I swear I would never say that phrase from the pulpit. But it's genuine here. It's genuine. One another Christianity. The only true way to follow Jesus is together. Um, now, this is hard. Let's be honest here. When you talk about this vision for, like, a community. You know, we're, at the end of the day, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to create systems as a young church plant. Like, our goal here is to center around Jesus, but it's to, it's to get us to the point where we're walking with Jesus intimately together. Like all the, whether it's a beach connect or a house-to-house or a formation group, we're trying to go for what Jesus has for his church. But we recognize, too, that this is difficult. Like, like let's be honest, we all have submission issues. Do you know what I mean? The only person that we often are, like, privy and thrilled to submit to is ourselves. Like, I love following my own leadership. I'm a great natural leader of myself. I go wherever I want me, me to go. That's weird. But like you get the idea. And so naturally we'll, we'll follow our own leadership, but what a, what a stretch. But notice the key phrase here. We submit to one another in the fear of God. This is so important. Um, I wrote it down this way. I believe this too, that the root of isolation is an issue of estimation. If you're, if you're living an isolated life, you have overestimated yourself. And you're lacking a healthy fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord says, I know who I am and I trust that God knows what I need. I need community. I can't isolate. That's an estimation issue. So so Paul says, we got to fear the Lord. That's what's going to lead us to submit. That's going to lead us to subject our lives in such a special way. But ultimately, this is what the Holy Spirit is, is trying to produce in our lives. So, all right. Let's close with this meditation. Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. To be filled is to be thrilled in the Lord. When the Spirit of God is filling you, the evidence of that, listen, is a restored joy in Him. And so we want to end, obviously we gave some practical ways to do this, and we want to end practicing what I'm preaching and what we're hearing. And as I invite Jimmy to, to close this out here, I want us to see this scripture together. And enter into a time where we can pray this same prayer that David prayed. Maybe this morning you recognize. That through your boredom. You've become distracted. And you see maybe in a lot of ways how you have. Stopped pursuing the God who's pursued you. You've become even routine and religious in some of your habits. And I just want to, if anything, it's like, it's not an exhortation, it's an encouragement this morning. There is great joy on the other side of knowing God. And the saddest thing for our lives would be to miss the joy that's available to us in and through him. 
So today we wanna close with a time where we can pray this and we can practice this. We can come before God and say, God, would you restore to me the joy of your salvation? So as we close with the song, maybe today that's what you're gonna do. You're gonna take a moment and pray this. Or maybe for you today, it's a moment to practice this. But let's take a moment here together. I'm gonna invite us all to stand in God's presence today. Come before him because he's worthy. God, we've come before you already. We've opened your word. We've thought about you. We've sung to you because you are the center of this universe. And we want to align ourselves with heaven. Not out of duty, but because of delight, because we get to know you. We get to rejoice in you. So even now, God, would you remind us of who you are? Would you stir up joy? Would you restore to us this morning even? thrill of knowing you as we sing to you in Jesus' name.